The Jewish Trauma Network provides education, guidance, and inspiration to individuals and families suffering from trauma to help them create a better life of connection and self-actualization. I'm your host, Dr. Yosef Tropper, and my greatest wish is to bring calmness, hope, and success to your life. Hello and welcome everybody to today's show. I am with Yisrael Kleiman, and we're going to be talking about healthy yielding versus codependent enabling. And I want to read um, Yisrael's bio, and then we'll kick it right off. So Yisrael Kleiman, LCSW, is in private practice in Lakewood, New Jersey. He works with men and older Bukharim struggling with anxiety, depression, and relationship issues. He's an adjunct professor at the Graduate School of Social Work at Toro College and is the author of Parenting by Design and You Plus Me Equals We. Welcome, Yisrael. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. It's an honor to have you with us today. And I would like to focus on the idea of you and me equals we. There's a lot of amazing ideas in that book. And we'll put the link in the show notes. We're not trying to sell it. But that's how I learned about you and started getting to know your works. And so for me, I would love to talk about uh, the concepts in that book. Okay, great. Yeah. A book amazing. A labor of love. So happy to talk about it. How long did it take to write? The actual writing didn't take very long. It was more that the concepts that I put in there had developed over many years of really many years ago. I came in believing that the right answer was to if you yield in relationship and you give in to the other person, then everybody will be happy, which I think is the predominant message that is given over in our communities. And it's the predominant message that we hear from Rabbonim, Rabbeim, you know, Chassan teachers, Kala teachers. This is the, this is what, this is the common knowledge in the street. Basically, um, let me just zoom out just to make sure everybody understands. Sure. So the, we'll start with, um, the tagline of the book is the counterintuitive path to shalom bias, which means peace. Yes. And so what we're going to be talking about today is mostly marriages and relationships, but just in this works in general. And the reason that I reached out to you is because my audience is trauma informed. And when it comes to trauma, there's always this thin line between, am I a victim? Am I being abused? Am I being hurt? Am I being manipulated versus is just, is this just a normal realm of this is a relationship and she has things she wants from me or uh, he has things he wants from me and where do we draw that line and so that's really one of the most important things and i think this book really tackles a lot of a lot of people like you said go into marriage thinking that it's all about yielding just give in but sometimes that doesn't work and actually as you prove a lot of times it doesn't work but then what's the other extreme i once gave this book to a friend of mine and his wife returned it to me and said no no he should not be reading this <laughs> and he was like yeah. he read it and he, he thought it was very beneficial and i've had a lot of reactions like that when you look at the the cover and you see the counterintuitive path and you start reading it and it's like, don't be codependent and don't just give in that scares a lot of people so i really want to like hone in on your experience with that specific point of like when do you know okay this is a healthy relationship let's work on it and when is it a red line where the things that you talk about in the, in the book are probably not relevant because it's just a dysfunctional relationship and it's not about the yielding or not yielding so it's such a it's a fantastic question and it really you're really getting right to the crux of the issue yeah and the, the approach that, that I come at it from and the, and, and the way I think about it is that I actually don't see it as bright red lines. A lot of times people say there is a quote unquote normal relationship and then there's a quote unquote dysfunctional relationship like you're saying here. And, and in one of them, you need your boundaries and like in the other one, you don't. And I don't actually see it that way. I see boundaries as something that applies across the spectrum from healthy to unhealthy relationships. And it's more that the boundaries automatically 
are change and shift based on the dynamics of the relationship itself. So you don't have to, so to speak, know whether it's an, you don't have to go ahead and, and make that judgment call. Is this a healthy relationship? Is this an unhealthy relationship? Because you don't have to come in with that knowledge. It's almost like if you're applying boundaries correctly, that automatically self-regulates itself. So this is from a very high level kind of view, but I'll explain what I mean. Say theoretically, I'm working with, I say theoretically, I have a boss and I'm working for the boss and I have a boundary that if I stay overtime, then I should get paid for overtime. Say theoretically, that's boundary that I have, right? Mm -hmm. If I'm working in a, in an office where my boss treats me respectfully and it's a healthy employer employee relationship. So then when they ask me to stay overtime, they'll be happy to compensate me. It's not, they'll be like, yeah, of course you're staying overtime. We definitely should give you something for that. Take off tomorrow or here's a bonus or here's a gift. And if I'm right. And if I'm working in an unhealthy office and in a very unhealthy place where they're looking to exploit me, that's something that they're going to chafe against terribly. And if it's somewhere in the middle, let's say my boss is like a little exploitive, not very, but somewhat they'll chafe against it a little. It's almost like I don't have to say, okay, is this relationship abusive or is it healthy? I don't even have to make that judgment call. It's gotcha. more that when I set healthy boundaries in a healthy relationship or even healthy relationships have parts of it that can be unhealthy. In the healthy parts of the relationship, the boundaries aren't going to be an issue because they're just going to be very natural and normal. Now, it doesn't mean that when I'm working, I don't have to necessarily have a rule that every single time I ever work overtime, I got to get paid immediately for that. Maybe I can have a rule that I have a buffer of, oh, I'm willing to do internally in my own mind. I'm willing to work an X amount every month. I'm willing to do two days of two hours overtime. But over that, I expect to be paid. In, in a healthy employer-employee relationship, they're not going to push me more than that. And if they do, they're going to be like, hey, we got to pay you for this. So you don't have to identify before you start whether what the relationship is. Yeah. It's just much more organically. Okay, what's going on right now? Does this work? Does, does that does that make sense yeah. to you? I, I think what you're saying is a very good answer because I really did dive right into it. And I basically asked you, like, how do you know whether this is something you should or should not work on? Yes. And, and your answer is it's very organic in the sense that you every relationship has boundaries and limits and, and and it's important to work around that and and that makes a lot of sense to me so yes what you what you teach is the principle and then people apply it obviously if someone's in a relationship that's one-sided and that is dysfunctional you'll keep applying it and it won't work quite frankly or, or or it will work to me boundaries can't not work right because what happens when you set a boundary is either the other person does complies with the boundary or they don't comply with the boundary and whatever consequences you have in place go into place so boundaries can't not like boundary. If I'm a therapist, for example, a boundary that I have with my clients is that the session ends 45 minutes after it starts. If, if you want to show up to the session at 42 minutes after being a session, you certainly can. I'm fine with that. Yeah. We'll just end three minutes later. And if you don't pay for the session, we won't meet next week. Right. So it's not like the, the boundary can't not work. The boundary always works because you either play by the rules or, or the game's over. In gotcha. Sense. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Let's maybe go in order. So your first chapter is about the enmeshed life. So let's talk about why is it that, why do people go into marriage or many people go into marriage thinking that it's all about yielding and giving in? Like, where yeah, does that come so, from? It's great. Great. It's a great question. So first of all, it's again, the predominant message that people give over. And it's a message that resonates with people on, on a logical level and an emotional level. It, it, I would say actually more on a logical level. It resonates with people very strongly. Hold on one second. If I treat you well, then you'll be motivated to treat me well. Like, why wouldn't you? And if you treat me well, then it will go vice versa. And 
it's actually very interesting as to why this doesn't work. The question is, so how come that doesn't work? Like, yeah. why can't you do that? Why can't I just give it all the time and then you'll give it to me and we'll have Gan Eden, right? This is every rub schmooze, every, right? So the answer is, it's very interesting. Every Everybody has in their own mind um, three categories of things. Like we can split everything in the world into three categories. This is one way of, obviously you can categorize things many ways. This is one way of categorizing. We can say that there are things that I want and I like. That's category A. There's category B of things that I don't want and I don't like, but I believe they're reasonable. Okay. And then there's category three of things that I think are unreasonable. No, no reasonable person would want this or like this or think this way. Mm -hmm. So I might like Fleischix better than Milchix. I think it's reasonable that someone might like Milchix better than Fleischix. I, I might or, or I might like pizza but I don't like uh, steak. I, I can understand that people like steak. I don't like it, but I think it's reasonable. But I cannot understand that someone would want to eat uh, dirt. Like, that's just beyond the pale. So what happens is like this. People don't have such a hard time giving in when they feel like they're giving in on something that's reasonable. Hey, yeah, I don't want to go to your parents so often. I don't like it there, but I definitely think it's reasonable that we should go once a month so if you want to go once a month, even though I don't like it, I'm willing to give it because it's reasonable. People usually don't have a problem giving in on reasonable things. Most people don't have a problem yeah. that there are, of course, exceptions to the rule. It's only when you want something that's unreasonable that all of a sudden I'm like, whoa, whoa hold on one second, right? So when I get married, I marry someone who I think is someone who's a normal, reasonable person. In my mind, they might like things that I don't like. They might like steak and I don't like steak but they're not going to like dirt. That's insane. So to me, the person that I'm marrying is not someone who's crazy and they don't have ideas about the world and preferences that are insane. Might be different than mine, but not insane. So what happens is that the truth is everybody has different interpretations about what's actually reasonable, not just what you like, but what's normal. She'll think that, yes, for the first two years of marriage, you go to the parents every week for Shabbos and twice a week for dinner. You know what I mean? And yeah. I might think that that's crazy. That's just not, I don't want that. You're crazy. When I give in on something that I don't even think is reasonable, that takes a very big toll on me because I'm not just giving in on something that I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to say that I think is insane. The problem is that on your end, you think this is perfectly reasonable. So if you think it's perfectly reasonable, you don't even appreciate the gift. Like the fact that I go to your parents every Shabbos and twice a week for dinner. Like, I'm not even doing you a favor. This is just what you're supposed to do. So you end up with this terrible gap where there's tremendous amount of resentment building, where I'm giving in to you on stuff that I think are completely insane, that you owe me big time. You think that I'm not doing you any favors. You're giving in to me on stuff that you think is crazy. You think it's completely crazy that, that I don't know, that the husband comes home and Shanari Shaina late at night after she was in with us. So you think that's crazy? And I'm like, I think that's very reasonable. All my friends do that. So you're, you feel like I owe you big time and I feel like you owe me big time. And then there's this tremendous resentment gap. And pretty much the story of every couple that comes to a marriage council, the first thing they sit down is they try to legislate who's right and who's wrong, who's crazy or not. Because each side feels like they're the tzaddik. Look at me. Look what I've been well doing. Said. Look what I've given up. Yeah. What do you do for me? You do nothing. And the other person's nothing. What do you mean I do? ABC, FG, what do you do? Do nothing. And when you ask each spouse, what about all these things that they say they do for you? They're like, that's not, they didn't do me a favor. That's a normal, reasonable thing. Of course they should do that. Amazing. This is where the discrepancy builds. This is where the resentment builds. This is where the problems.
Yeah. And the book explains this very well. And I don't want to spend too much time on it. The Rambam and the Rivet are famous people that argue. And when the Rambam asks a very complicated theological question and the Rivet says, why didn't you give an answer? That's one of his biggest complaints. Why didn't you give an answer? You left people hanging. So I think anyone that just listened for the last 10 minutes is, wow, I like this guy. Don't give in. And I shouldn't, if my, if my spouse makes no sense, I shouldn't give it. So I don't want to leave people <laughs> stranded. Like you have a very good answer and a very good approach. So I actually want to spend the rest of our time talking about, like, so what is the solution? You're right. The problem is that the, the Hassan teachers, the college teachers, the Rabbeim, some people go into marriage thinking that it's all about being mavater and giving up and what are you willing to bend on? And there's no question about it that even in your book, you talk about being a generous and thoughtful person, of course. Absolutely. But the balance of how to navigate that in a healthy way and communicate around it and, and have healthy boundaries and respectable boundaries is there. Like when you have your first session with your clients, you don't just say to them, here's the laws. If you don't follow it, shape up or ship out. It's not what marriage is about either. So I, I want to talk about, so what is a solution to that case where she wants to eat at her parents every single Shabbos and twice a week? And he says, that's just not reasonable for me. What what happens then? That's a great question. And by the way, I, I do have a tendency to get long-winded, as you've noticed. So if, feel free to cut me off. Don't, You're uh, very don't passionate sure. about the content. So don't worry. Yeah, I, no, don't, don't be worried about cutting me off. It's not thank something you. I'm You're doing um, great. I'll need your help on that. So the solution goes, the, the bedrock of the solution is that this discrepancy in expectations has to become public property in most cases. So the fact that I believe that this is not a reasonable thing has to be put on the table very often for there to be no resentment building. And then what ends up is that despite the fact that we don't agree and we will never agree perhaps on whether this is reasonable or not, at least you know that I believe it's unreasonable and I know that you believe it's it's reasonable. So instead of pretending like we're all on the same page, we stop pretending that we're on the same page. And that's really the that's really the bedrock of where we're starting at. And when you once you're able to put that on the table that, hey, we're not necessarily pretending to be on the same page, then I can make a decision that maybe I'll do it anyways. Or maybe I'll make a decision that I'll leave the decision up to you. I'll say to you, hey, could we please, I'm, I'm letting you make the call. Could we please stay home? But if you say that we should go, then then I'm willing to go. Or maybe I'll take a much more extreme approach of, hey, listen, I'm not coming. If you want to go, you can go, but I'm not coming. And it's all about, and, and, and sometimes I can also make the decision to not tell you that I disagree with you, to pretend like I'm okay with it, but I can only do that so long as I recognize that you don't owe me anything for that. That's a free gift on my end, or at least that's a strategic decision on my end that might work or might not work. But you don't owe me anything because I recognize the fact that you and I have a different set of expectations. So long as I'm not willing to give you a free gift or so long as I'm not willing to make a strategic attempt at making things better by giving in to you, but without holding you accountable for that, I have no other choice, but I must put that information on the table. And once I put the information on the table, I could then comply with you. I can request, I can leave the decision up to you and request that you change the decision or I can decide not to go along with it. So these are the action options that are available to me once I'm aware of the fact that there's going to be a discrepancy between my expectations and your expectations. Okay. Yes, that's amazing. So again, but then then someone might say to me, that's not fair. Like, I thought marriage is all about closeness and like relationship. So that's not fair. So tell me, explain to me what you mean when you say not fair. Thank you. You're right. You're so not fair. Why, why does my husband have a right to say that? He doesn't want that. I know he resents going to, to my parents' house. Right. Okay. And, and 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 so I don't like that. I don't appreciate that. I thought he was going to support me. Okay. So uh, again, so I, I'm not saying this is what you should tell a client per se, right? I'm not, that's my, I'm not saying you should say this in a, in a therapy room. The answer to the client is that 
much like he's not supporting you by not being happy about going to your parents, you're not supporting him per se in his desire to stay home. It's like a two-way street. But my desire is more reasonable. Like everyone wants to have to do with their parents. All right. And that's right. And that's the crux of the issue, right? And your husband believes, and your husband believes that his desire is reasonable. See, and maybe he's, not, he's right. not the one. He's not the one cooking when we don't go to my parents' house. I am. Yeah, I understand. And and you believe that because you're cooking, it's reasonable that you should get to decide where to go. Yeah, and he stop. believes again. I'm not saying this is what you would you should or shouldn't tell yeah. a client. I'm just but trying to help that, understand. And and the point is that, and he believes that even though he's not the one cooking, that he should still have a stay in where you are for Shabbos. And if we asked him why, he would probably explain to us. Maybe he would say, "I earn the money for the cooking," or he would say, "I watch the kids," or he would say, "Even if I don't do the cooking, but that's not my job, and and I I do the learning, or I go to." If we would ask him, he would give us a narrative of why to him it's reasonable that he should decide this. So much like you want him to be on your side and agree with you, hold on one second, he would love you to, to be on his side. And here's the thing, he doesn't have to be on your side and you don't have to be on his side. And it, it's okay if you guys have a disagreement about what's reasonable. And you said like marriage is about closeness. So I, that's the point, like marriage is about closeness. And how can you have closeness when I am pretending to believe and live a life that I don't actually believe and live where I'm all smiley. And I'm like, yeah, great. I think this is great. And really, I think it makes no sense. That's not closest. That's your, that's you being close with the mirage of me. That's not who I am. That's not what I believe. I'm not someone who really wants to be super yeshivish or I'm not someone who really wants to be super open. I'm just putting that on to please you. So you don't even know me. Like you're, you're, you're relating with the mirage of me, a real relationship and real closenesses. I actually am. And I know who you actually are. And even though we're different, and even though I am me and you are you, and we have different, I think if I'm not me and you're not you, then how can we have a real, right? It's like, there's a, there's like a line by yeah. like Boober, something like that about that. If I'm not who I am and you're not who you are, how can we actually have a real relationship? So it's almost like you trade in the possibility of a real relationship because it's a little tricky for the mirage of this relationship, which isn't a relationship because you're just getting the pretend fluffy me, the, the superficial me, instead of who I really am. Yeah, very very interesting. Let, let, I want to push back on a couple of things and they're all related. So you started mentioning a lot about Shana Rishona, first marriage, first yeah. year of marriage. And, and and obviously I would imagine, my, my first question is, you'll see I'm, I'm building up. When, when do people start coming to you and saying, Hey, wait a minute! This Vitor thing isn't working, or or he's not being Mavater, or when does that usually? When does a bubble burst in your experience? It bursts whenever it bursts, right? So for some people, it bursts really quickly. Some people find out like two weeks into the relationship or three days into the relationship that like, hold on one second, I'm with someone who has a very different sense of the world than me, and and they don't and they don't respect that, and this is this is not working out. And for some people, it takes longer than that. So it I, I can't say that like, there's any like specific timeline per se. And by the way, there are people who get married who are similar enough in their expectations and similar enough in how they see the world, or at least similar enough in their meta expectations, how they believe one should work through a situation where there's a disagreement. If they're both aligned on how that's supposed to work, then very often they'll get along very well. And this won't be an issue because they don't think that their spouse is unreasonable. There's not a lot of areas where they think their spouse is unreasonable. So it really depends how big is the gap, you know what I mean? How much denial is there and how much am I hiding from this? And Another piece is how scary is it emotionally to have that temporary discomfort of, hold on one second, me and you are not on the same page on this, and one of us is going to feel yucky, and it's not going to become by a hunky-dory situation. 
Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So my next question, which is a follow-up of that is yeah. let's say somebody's listening and they say, listen, I'm married for 10 years, I'm married for 15 years. Is this changeable? Because right now it's not functional the way it's going yeah. as far as that. Is that it, like, how do you, what do you do to change the narrative of your marriage to get it out of this codependent? Great. Yeah. Great question. So the EFT therapists are going to shoot me. So if you're like, if you're like an EFT marriage therapist, you should hit, you should skip the next minute over here. Go ahead. Um, the point is that boundaries are unilateral. I don't need my partner's consent. I don't need their consent. I don't need their approval. I don't need them to do anything to start setting boundaries or acting differently. I don't need anybody to to give me a green check mark to say, hold on one second. I know you want to go to your parents for this week. I just want to let you know that I really don't like it. And I don't think it's reasonable. I'm still willing to go. I'm still going to go. And I'm not asking that we shouldn't go. I'm going to go unhappily. Uh, and I'm letting you know that that by me inside of me, this is not something that I think makes sense. You can do that tomorrow. You can say to your husband, hey, you come home late at night for my roof. I want to let you know that I'm not even asking you to come home late, to come home earlier. I just want to let you know that it's something that that bothers me. You can turn around and say to your spouse, hey, can you please stop coming home late for my roof? It's like, you can do that. So these are things that you can implement. You don't need anybody else's approval. You can do this when you're married for 40 years if you want. There's no timeline on this. This is a micro action in the moment on 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 what is something. And again, in the book, I discuss at length about how to identify what your boundaries are and where to set them and what's a reason. Like, how do you figure out where to set them and how to set them and what steps to use and how to have this type of conversation? Because you don't just want to come in and shoot someone in the face. You want to lubricate the conversation with the oil of validation and, and acknowledgement and these types of pieces. But ultimately, after all that's said and done, the core is you're you're coming in and you're communicating something to somebody else, which you don't need anybody's permission to do. Yeah. And and when when I read your book, uh, I think it came out in two thousand and what was it? Uh, nineteen. So when I read it, I found myself just shaking my head the entire time, saying like, this is awesome. And when I started implementing it, personally, it's amazing, and professionally with clients. So what I noticed was this, and you tell me if you see this also. People, some people bought into it and they were like, yeah, that's great. But then what would happen is. They would start doing it, but then they wouldn't follow through with it because they would go back to old dysfunctional, let me find the right word for it, withdrawal, dismissive, especially people with that type of personality who, who are avoidant to begin with. It was like, okay, I'll start doing it or my spouse is doing it, but I don't, I don't want to, I don't want friction. Let me just ignore the whole problem. And then I found that it often just wouldn't do anything. So do you find that like, it takes a certain commitment of three months of practice or six, you know, or something in order for it to actually be most effective? Because I feel like there's a lot of like conversations, like you said, and a lot of reasonability. And when people sometimes fall into fights, they lose that reasonability and that conversation. Right. So to me, I see it as ultimately doing this process from the book. It's an uncomfortable thing. It's not pleasant. It's it's not yummy. It's not yummy to, to say to your spouse, I don't like this. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't feel good. It doesn't engender feelings of closeness when you do it yeah. for the most part. And Ultimately, what it comes down to is how much pain is the status quo causing you? And that's really what I find. If the status quo is causing you enough pain, then you'll be able and willing to, to, to do something to change it, even if it's painful. And if the status quo is not painful enough, then you're not. So when people come to me in, in private practice, they're usually in a situation where they're, where they're suffering and what's going on is really not workable. And that is enough of a motivation for them to stick to it. And like, and like a client told me uh, recently, a client who terminated recently, he says, I'm me again. I'm myself again. It's amazing. I'm yeah. happy again. I'm a person again. And my wife, she, she's not any angrier than she was when I was doing so much more for her, as it were. And I was 
not being me. I'm me. And to the contrary, she's calmed down so much more. It's like she knows this is a yes and this is a no, and this is where I stand yeah. on it. And I'm me again. So it's really about how expensive is it to keep the status quo? And if keeping the status quo is not so expensive, then it's going to be difficult to follow through. And for a lot of avoidant and dismissive relationship styles, it's about denial and repression. And so the status quo is almost like a low grade discomfort instead of being something that's actively painful. Yeah. And yeah, I don't have a great answer to that question because ultimately, what are you going to do? What are you going to do if the client is not feeling a lot of enough discomfort to motivate them to experience this hump of discomfort? It's a problem. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's a tricky business. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. And and I've used a lot of your uh, material for with couples that are both with me and also with individuals. I'm curious what your experience is. Do you feel that it works just as effectively with one person? Do you feel like it's better if both of them are there and you're teaching them both at the same time? What's your experience? So I work mostly actually with one spouse. I work with, I, I don't see women. I see men exclusively. and, and okay. So I work with one spouse and the people send people to me when men are in relationships with difficult women, with women who are struggling with personality disorders. And those are obviously enormously tricky. And I'll work just with the guy himself. And when every once in a while, I'll, I'll end up with a couple in here. It's not my expertise. And I told people like, if you want to come as a couple, don't come to me, go to somebody else. It's not my training. Yeah. But every once in a while, a couple does sneak in. And and when it's there, it's what I do is in the session, I take the place of the person relaying the bad news. Okay, so listen, so here's how it works. You believe A and you believe B and you think she's nuts and she thinks you're nuts. And like, can we respect that for a moment? Like you both think each other's crazy. And at first it's like, no, I don't think that. And it's, everybody's trying to be polite. And yeah. then it's like, okay, but can we cut the politeness and get to the point? Yes. And everybody's like, yeah, I do think that's crazy. And I was like, I'm like, okay, fine. So can we recognize that you'll never convince her that this is normal? And can you recognize that you'll never convince him that this is normal? So now let's figure out how we're going to work with this. And we can stop playing this ridiculous business of you trying to convince you and you trying to convince you, or one of you just pretending that you don't have needs and just doing everything the other person demands. And you end up with, it's like you end up with a situation where Gottman says this, that there are these irreconcilable differences that are never going to go away, but but nobody's fighting about them anymore because it's just such a waste of time. It's you don't like I, something that I use with a lot of my clients is if you came from a planet where everybody lived till a million and like you would, you, everybody had, you'd spend the first hundred or 200 years getting a profession, setting yourself financially. And then you just have hundreds of thousands of years to like, and then you came to planet earth where we like, we live to 120. And like, by the time you get to 40, 50, it's like you're already starting downhill with the health issues. You, you wouldn't get out of bed in the morning. You'd be so depressed. Would be, you wouldn't be able to think about anything else. You'd be able to function, but we're all fine because to us, it's like, this is what it is. I don't know what you want from me. So there's yeah. no point thinking about this. So in a relationship, if I know that this is what it is. I believe this and you believe that. And you think my position's crazy. I think your position's crazy. And you're going to want what you want. I'm going to want what I want then we're going to work out what to do. We'll end up negotiating. We'll end up figuring it out. But we're not going to end up in that old ridiculous cycle of me trying to change you and you trying to change me or me pretending to keep the peace because it could be peaceful. Yeah, yeah, I think this and you think that. And that's just a known fact in our relationship. That's old news. You know what I mean? So just to double click a little bit. So when these men come to you and they're married to, I'm going to say, quote unquote, difficult women. So yes, as yes. you pointed out, if whoever's working with their spouses sometimes they're going to hear that they're married to difficult men and sometimes they are married to difficult sure. men and yes. sometimes two difficult people are married sometimes, sometimes it's a good shidduch yes exactly <laughs> or maybe not a good shidduch or some and sometimes it's it, sometimes these women are right that they're really married to a very difficult person these men yes. are right they're married to yes. someone with a personality disorder so my question is what are your tricks of the trade 
and again, this might be a little bit more off topic, but just what are your tricks of the trade to really see, is this guy exaggerating and being unreasonable or is he being reasonable? Because as therapists, we're also judging. Correct. Yes. It's, yeah, it's, it's a very good question. Another, this is something we could speak for an hour about. So this, <laughs> this really comes into compartmentalization for the therapist. The position that I take with my clients as a therapist professionally is that for the most part, I believe what my clients tell me. And I tell my clients, here's the story. I believe you, okay? But that doesn't mean you're not crazy. This is what I say to my clients. Okay. So I will look my client and, in the eye and say, listen. And just to, just to make it a little bit more understandable, you're working with men, and you're working with men in Lakewood, New Jersey, who need a strong man therapist to talk that way. This might not be applicable to someone who's- Oh, working. yeah, listen, that's a different schmooze, but- my style in the therapy room is, is different than a lot of different therapists. Like I can't work. I can't work with kids. I just wouldn't know what to do with them. Even though you wrote so, a book on parenting, which is a whole nother. I wrote, I wrote a book on parenting young children, which, and I worked with parents for many years, actually. In the club. I, but I want to work with the kids. I worked with the parents. I couldn't gotcha. work with the kids. It wasn't Amazing. for me. So yeah, I, and I think it's almost like there's an orchard and everybody walks in and picks the fruit from the short trees. And then you find a guy who's 20 feet tall. It's impossible for him to pick from the short trees. He picks from the tall trees very easily. So it, it's not that he's better. He's just different. It's not that he's worse. He's just different. I'm different. There's a lot of therapists who are like warm and fuzzy and that's great. And 80% of the world needs that. And then there's yeah. like 20% that doesn't. And that's who relief sends to me. And, and, and for the men in Lakewood who need your support, you're amazing what you do. Yeah. And, and it's, and it's great. And, and the cases that, that other therapists find very difficult, I find very easy to walk in the park. You have good and boundaries. The that, and the case, the case that I find impossible, they're like, Oh, this is client. I find a sweet little seven-year-old. I'm like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> Yes, I will look at, I can't, I can't tell you what you should do. I'll tell you what I do. You take from it from what you want. You tell them that I believe what you're saying. And I, say, listen, you're I don't say I believe. I say, listen, I don't yet believe or not believe. I say, the minute you walk out of this room, I don't. I have no outside opinion on what you're saying right now. So you can tell me Lushen about anybody. I will take that as true right now. And the moment we close this door, whatever goes on in this room stays in this room. It's irrelevant to the life that I leave outside this room. But in this room, this is a space where what you say I take as true. However, you better know that. And you better know that it could very well be that you're barking mad and you're misrepresenting everything and you're crazy and you're just twisting everything. And therefore, what we're coming out here is not relevant at all. And I say, and I don't know that because I haven't spoken to your wife or your Rav or whoever. And I, I have no interest in speaking to them because I don't want to play judge, jury and executioner here. That's not my job. Yeah. So I will let them know that we are working within the parameters of the information you're giving me and in the world that you're presenting to me. And some clients take that and run with it. And some clients will say, but hold on one second. Let me give you more context and tell me, does this sound reasonable to you? And then I'll say, okay, so hold on one second. Okay, now you're asking me to make a judgment call. Let me Then, then I'll start like digging. I'll start asking uncomfortable questions. But only if you as the client want that. If you don't want that mm -hmm. as the client, I'm going to say, listen, Based on what you're saying, this is what it sounds like, but you might be leaving out whole, all sorts of information. So that's for me how I do that. I Again, and it, this is the same approach, right? It's the same approach that I'm advocating in marriage. There's a funny fact that in the therapy room, like you want me to believe you. But on the other hand, like how can I believe you? Because I'm not hearing the whole story. Right. So instead of pretending that doesn't exist and like, no, I do trust you. I don't trust you. I just throw all the facts on the table. Listen, Sadik, here's the story. I believe you in the room. I have no idea if you're crazy or not. And that's the end of it. So and let's work with that. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. This is really so helpful. And and I think people understand now why we call it healthy yielding, because there are ways to yield, but also codependent enabling and you know how to put Absolutely. up boundaries and, and focus on that. I want to leave off with, with the two small questions. Small rule of thumb. I'll just give you one quick yeah, rule of thumb. The rule of thumb to know, the very, very simple rule of thumb to know if you're doing something and it's healthy or unhealthy, is 
would I do this if I wouldn't get in trouble for not doing this? And if I wouldn't get in trouble, that if the issue is that I'm afraid of getting in trouble, then I'm probably being hijacked with a gun to my head. If it's not that I'm afraid of being in trouble, I'm just doing a favor, right? And we have this with kids also. Am I letting my kid stay up late tonight because I'm afraid of his tantrum? I'm afraid of the consequences and yeah. I feel like I can't say no or I could say no. No problem. I could say no. I'm deciding to say yes. It's like a very, eh, that's the, that's, that's the shorthand for knowing. Am I doing a healthy thing right Amazing. now or an unhealthy thing? That's very interesting. And that's a good yeah. segue. Cause I would love to get you back at some point to talk about the whole pa parenting thing, which is a whole different <laughs> genre. I want to yeah. leave off with two specific questions. And one of them is, can you leave us off with some story or some words of hope? If somebody is in a difficult relationship and they feel, oh my goodness, people that come in to see you are probably overwhelmed and maybe even in a hopeless mindset, could you help? And then the last question I have for you is just, somebody wants to get in touch with you, how do they do that? So just, could you leave us off with some hope if somebody's feeling very helpless? Yeah, so the hope that I'll give you isn't, it's not gonna be all, as you can imagine, it's not gonna be all peaches and cream. I do think that there are some people who, where there is no hope, where it's not going to get better. So it's much like an illness. There are some cancers which are curable and treatable and some which aren't. And the, a lot of times the only way to know is to start treating it. And once you start treating it, you find out, do things start getting better? And to the contrary, like for example, chemotherapy actually weakens a person. So if you have a cancer that's not treatable and you give the person chemotherapy, they'll die quicker than if you didn't often. Mm -hmm. So this is something that I discuss with my clients. Like, we don't know if this relationship is workable or not. We don't know if your relationship with your spouse is going to work out. We, we can't know that in advance. But here's the story. If we don't do anything and we leave it as the status quo, it's going to slowly get worse and worse until it dies. And they've seen that. They've seen how it gets worse and worse. And they give in and then the boundary gets pushed. And then they give in and the goalposts get moved again. I say, but if we treat it, one of two things are going to happen. It's either going to get better because this is a or this is a by refua. And if it's a by refua, it will blow up really quickly, really dramatically, yeah. and we'll know right away that it's over and it will be over. So it's like, it's like don't open the credit card bill because it might have a scary number in there. And it's almost like, listen, if the number's not scary, thank God you opened it up because now you didn't get late fees. And if right. the number is scary, thank God you opened it up because you have a big problem on your hands and you got to stop spending money tomorrow. So don't wait yeah. a week. So it's the discomfort of seeing the big number, but really you're better on both accounts. Right. You're better if it's bad and you're better if it's good. You're and better I, by, yeah. Yeah, so in, in your work with extreme cases, it's don't avoid it, just deal with it. And in your and again, just using the book, which applies for mild to moderate or sometimes even severe, where we're not severe, sure if yeah. it's favorable. But even for the mild to moderate, where it's I'm not coming to get divorced, I'm just coming because help me navigate and we want or both of us want to navigate and it right, does right. seem workable, then these principles do work. Healthy boundaries, healthy understanding, and also healthy kindness and giving. How do people get in touch with you if they want to reach out? So they could reach out, they can call me or text me or WhatsApp me at 732-806-1699 or they can email me at yisraelkleinman.com, kleinman at gmail.com, I'm sorry, Y-I-S-R-A-E-L K-L-E-I-N-M-A-N at gmail.com. So that's Amazing. how you can reach out. And we'll and, put all uh, that, we'll put that in the show notes, the the books that you have and the and the contact info. Is there anything you're working on currently? Any projects or? No, I'm booked out. I wanted to actually write a book on on men with, with Asperger's. Interesting. Uh, yeah. And I wanted to write, this is an old, this is a project that I wanted to write. I wanted to write a book that 
the front and the back cover would be reversed. Like one would be like it would be upside down. And half of the book would be for the man with Asperger's reading it, how to understand himself and his relation from that lens. And then the other side would be for the wife to read the men with Asperger's understanding from her. And then the books meet in the middle. Amazing. But, Beautiful. Um, <laughs> put a book down. Maybe one day I'll read this. Okay. Book, you know? We look forward. I think that you're covering all the dynamics because there's this book, which has had to deal with difficult people. But then sometimes I'm sure the people that are coming in might be a man with Asperger's. And that's part of the problem where, where the Correct. issues are. There's a question yeah. of navigating, just like understanding a lot of times, just understanding how someone's brain works. Yes. For the, for the person without it to understand how the person with it and the person with it to understand how to, to them, the whole world is this really weird place where people are doing really weird things. Yes. And if you really understand it well, and you're able to, you, you have a good framework, then you can act, you can, this is something that I do as well. I'll, I'll work with people with Asperger's and I will explain the world to them. And when they're done, they'll, they'll get it. They'll get how the world works. Yeah. It's not how they work, but, but they, it makes sense to them now. And it really, and they can navigate. So and a lot of Tony Atwood is a famous Asperger's researcher. So he always talks about how people with Asperger's actually do very well in therapy. They do very well as partners. They Absolutely. Just, they need to be taught and the part the, their partner needs to be taught how to be respectful and kind. Absolutely. There's an article, there's a story in Mishpacha called Checkmate, printed many years ago. And I actually emailed Mishpacha and they sent it to me. And it's a beautiful story about a guy with Asperger's who did this. He learned using his logical Asperger's brain how his wife works, like in all the funny, to him, funny, incomprehensible rules. He wrote a manual. <laughs> but he got the algorithm down. And based on that, he did an, He really did well. They had, they had a great relationship. So, and she felt heard and, and loved and understood and supported. Because right, once a guy like that understands how you program the thing, he's good. He knows how to do this. He knows how to put the code in it. Exactly. And she was patient and kind while he learned. And that's amazing. It's so great to have people like you helping the community. And I thank you so much for your time. It really is a very thank you. It's, it's my pleasure. I'm very passionate about this. I'm happy to talk about it. I, it's yeah. I think this stuff. I think this stuff really makes a difference to people's lives. Just the knowledge. So thank you so much. Right. And wishing you thank the you best. very much. Thanks for listening to the Jewish Trauma Network. For additional resources, free and premium courses, leave questions or suggestions, or to support our mission, please visit JewishTrauma.com. And always remember. Your life can and will be better.